Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Susan Vibeda, Chief Marketing Officer at The Trade Desk. Trade Desk is a fast-growing demand-side platform offering agencies, aggregators, and their advertisers technology to manage, display, mobile, and video advertising campaigns. Prior to the Trade Desk, Susan was the EVP and Chief Marketing Officer for Tory Birch, where she led a customer-centric, omni-channel, and global digital transformation of all brand communications. Prior to Tori Birch, she was the founding executive and GM of Bloomberg's media distribution divisions, and before that, she's held roles at Bloomberg.com, Yahoo, Gap Incorporated, and Walmart.com. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Susan. Well, Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be here. Well, so let's start off with your path to the trade desk and your current role as chief marketing officer there. So how'd you get there? Yeah, well, I have had a crazy spiderweb career. I started in finance at the beginning of my career, but have worked in advertising, merchandising, and I've been a general manager of a business. And I've industries have ranged from retail, e-commerce, media. I was at Bloomberg and worked on the start of Bloomberg.com, went to Tory Birch to be the CMO. And now I'm at the trade desk working on the cutting edge of what's happening in marketing and technology. So it's just been just a tremendous journey for me. And I think what ties it all together is I really love to learn and love to sort of put myself in the middle of what's happening. And I think that was characteristic of, you know, when I started working on the internet at sort of the dawn of the internet age. And I think it's certainly characteristic of why I came to the trade desk to work at this amazing company at this point. So did you set out to kind of manage your career that way? I mean, starting from finance and ending up in marketing is one big transition, but were you always kind of looking for the, you know, this, I hate to say this because you've got a fantastic career, but a little bit of a zigzag career, right? (laughs) Exactly. It's been a zigzag. And I just didn't expect that to be the case. When I started, I was in finance and I changed careers at 24. I started meeting people in advertising and just couldn't believe uh, I was in Chicago at the time. And I couldn't believe that all these people I was meeting were going to focus groups and figuring out what was happening with people and then flying to Los Angeles to go on TV shoots. And I just 
thought I would do that without being paid. I thought it was so cool. <laughs> so that, that's why I, I changed, you know, at that point. But I, I definitely thought it was going to be kind of a, a marketing at that time, traditional marketing career. That's what I thought. But in the modern age, which we're all in now, just things are changing so fast. And I found myself really gravitating towards what's new and what I could learn. I like to learn and I like to contribute what I know to a situation. So the idea over time of just kind of staying in one industry and having progressive responsibility or even at one company just wasn't what drove me. I'm really curious about what's happening out there. And I think that's been the driver of my career. That's great. Well, so why the trade desk? What was your criteria for that, you know, coming there? Well, I actually did something I, I don't usually do. I listed kind of a, I made a list of sort of four things that I was looking for in my next role at the time. And so they were really a digital native company. I wanted to make sure digital was at the center of what I was up to. A company that's kind of had some scale in leading its industry, but needed leadership to get to sort of the next level, whether it was to expand globally or just to create a more strategic marketing competency or whatever it was. And then the fourth thing was, did I click with the people and the culture? And it was kind of interesting to me because the trade desk, I got a phone call about the trade desk, and it's really an untraditional move from Tory Burch, just completely different. Right. But it did, it's just so different, but it did hit on all four of the criteria. I think as somebody who's worked for big brands in the past, you know, I really said, okay, that's really not what's important, like a known brand, like a, a cool brand, a chic brand. That's always been really fun. But it, really, when you look at those four things, it was about being at the forefront of the cutting edge of what was happening in marketing and in technology and in media. And that's what this is. And that's my job is to now is to help people understand what the trade desk is and how it's working to bring unprecedented efficiencies and capabilities to marketing today. Wow. We'll get to talking about the trade desk, I think, in a little bit. But one of the things you did when you were at Tory Burch was lead digital transformation. Can you give us a little go back down history lane, so to speak, and give us a little <laughs> bit of what happened and, and what you did there? Sure. So I think a lot of brands right now and in the past five years have been, of course, focused on digital and what it means to their businesses. And the way that we started at Tory Birch along the path of digital transformation in marketing was, and what most companies do, was really thinking about the customer and what's happening with customers today. And what we really thought a lot about was our customer is spending over five hours a day consuming digital media. And her time is scarce and it's hard to get her attention because she's just so swamped. So really being able to talk to her and bring her messages and content on digital channels at the right time when she might be in the mindset to consider, in this case, fashion, was really important. And what we did was reorient everything we were doing from how we were investing in terms of what channels we were investing in, how we were creating content, how we were shooting our imagery to make sure it was digitally right, how we were reviewing it in our creative reviews, where we actually looking at it on a mobile, you know, thinking about mobile and how our brand was presented on mobile phones. So it was a complete reorientation to everything we were doing. And it took about 18 months to accomplish it. Wow. Wow. But just following up on that, I mean, you talk about shooting for digital and things like that. Were you thinking about turning these assets into highly leverageable assets? Meaning, you know, so you could use them in 
a multitude of ways? I mean, was that the burning desire or were you really focused on specific channels? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think a couple of things. First, it was a this digital transformation was a digital first strategy. So it wasn't that we would create an asset or an idea that was and take a picture that was just for digital, but it needed to be digital first versus digital last, which is kind of how it was like a not company before digital transformation. That's sort of how, how it can be. Right. So, you know, an example for a fashion company is if you are a catalog or direct mail piece is your primary marketing vehicle, you're shooting head to toe vertical imagery. And that's what you're shooting. And that's not necessarily how to tell stories, you know, the best visuals to tell stories in digital. And I'd say another thing that we did was really, it's around storytelling. We started to get very clear on what stories we were telling at what time and created a map for that going into the future. And that allowed us to really launch and leverage campaigns and assets globally and have everyone in the company see what we were doing. And that's super important in a consumer business is to really organize well ahead and have a calendar and launch plan and a messaging map for storytelling. That's great. One of the things you mentioned in our prior conversation was that you built an internal team around you. And as you were going through this transformation, what were the types of roles that you needed to build around you? Yeah, I've done this, built a team a lot, a lot in my (laughs) career, maybe six times. Um, I'm pretty fortunate that Trade Desk actually walking in because there's a very strong team in place, even though we need to grow given how fast the business is growing. It's a very unusual situation. (laughs) Actually, usually, you know, there's no team or really needing like, you know, to bring in new capabilities. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the overall way to approach any situation is to think about what's needed in the long term. What's the strategic vision of the customer, of the business, of is it a global business that you're managing? What is that strategic vision? And build a plan, an organizational plan for two years out, approximately 18 months to two years out, what you would like that overall org to look like. And then, and don't think about the next two weeks, three months, six months. It's a hard thing to do, especially when there's like, you're, there's nobody <laughs> except for you, <laughs> which has certainly been in that situation, a kind of a startup situation. But it's truly important to build for the long term. I'd say I always, always when I'm building a team, prioritize interviewing and talent above anything else. In fact, so if there's somebody who wants to come in and interview and I need to move something on my calendar, I'll do that. That's how you scale a team as quickly as possible is really prioritizing talent. And there's no more, if you talk to any CMO these days, that's what they'll tell you is it's really about talent. Just to say one more thing about this in marketing, and we talked about it earlier, Mm -hmm. content, how do you tell stories about your brand today and develop content? It's very difficult to go out external to creative resources externally to get everything done for a brand, especially if you're doing social media or blog posts or any kind of editorial as part of your brand storytelling, you often need to create, have a creative team or an editorial team built in-house. And that's something, at least in the last five years, that's been a part of any organization I've built. Interesting. Interesting. So one more question about talent and then we can move on. I was with a bunch of CMOs probably in the fall and we were talking about talent. And it, what struck me, and I just want to get your reaction to this, what struck me was as we went around the table, none of the CMOs had a person on their team that if they got hit by a bus could take over. And I'm curious, is that something you've experienced as well? Or have you been fortunate enough to have those types of folks 
on your team? I'm somebody, I think, who builds for succession, actually. And I know it might be Mm -hmm. unusual, but I try to have a leadership layer where there are multiple people that could succeed me. Mm -hmm. When I left Bloomberg, for example, I had two of my direct reports. They couldn't, Bloomberg people actually couldn't figure out who it was (laughs) that would succeed me because they were both so strong. It took them many months to decide. And I'm really proud of that, proud of both of those individuals because they were both incredibly strong performers. But I think as a leader, that's actually your responsibility is if you are hit by a bus at the team, you build a team that can, that has the skills, the capabilities and the leadership to carry on if you're not there. Right. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, let's talk a little bit about technology. So you've led digital transformations. You're now at a technology, you know, marketing technology player at the trade desk. Do you think marketers need to be closer to those technologies that are out there today and in order to develop proper strategy? This is an extraordinary age for marketers. Data and technology are tools for marketers that they can use in unprecedented ways to engage, reach and engage customers. And as a former CMO, I knew that I needed to leverage as a marketer data and technology. But prior to coming to the trade desk and really immersing myself in this platform and these capabilities, I didn't have a good understanding of exactly how to do that. There's an example in my last role at Tory Birch where I wanted to market a resort line to people who, women who were in in the middle of snowstorms in the Northeast and were browsing online at warm weather vacations and planning their escape to someplace warm. And maybe they were within 10 miles of our store and had maybe were fashion involved or had certain demographic characteristics. And I actually wanted to do that real time through the winter. And to accomplish that, I thought you had to build a data infrastructure in-house, ingest a lot of data and really do that. There's a major technology investment we needed to make. But in reality, you could do that tomorrow on our platform. And I just didn't know as a CMO. And so that aha for me has really compelled me to come to the trade desk to help bring awareness to marketers about the capabilities of the tools and the trade desk and what you can do today from a targeting and engagement standpoint to acquire new customers. I love that example. We're in, let's see, February and it's a little chilly. I'm thinking about warm vacations myself. So thank you for that (laughs) example. (laughs) I drifted away for a moment to a beat somewhere. So the trade desk is in the marketing technology realm. And in particular, you guys, I believe, do a lot of programmatic. And we've seen a lot of attention on fraud in the general industry. What do you think about that as someone inside the industry? Well, the Trade Desk has always been committed to full transparency throughout the media supply chain. And our platform, the Trade Desk platform, provides complete transparency for marketers and their agencies, and that gives them more control and flexibility. And an example of how we have very directly addressed the concerns around fraud and our commitment as a company to marketplace quality is that last year we partnered with the cybersecurity firm White Ops to ensure that all inventory that is bought on our platform is verified to be authentic and is not fraudulent. So this is something that we're extremely diligent about, and it's truly important for our industry to be diligent about, and we are leaders at the trade desk in this question. Okay. So 
Have you seen, so at the trade desk, you're working with brands, you're working with agencies too, I imagine. Have you seen brands bringing more media functions in-house yet at the trade desk? It seems to be something talked about in the trade press. So I'm just curious. Yeah, I completely agree. There's, it's just, it's sort of interesting. You know, I've, I've been at the company for three months now, and there's been so many headlines about brands bringing especially programmatic media and programmatic media buying in-house and what's going to happen with agencies. And what we've seen is it's really sort of not a black and white issue at all, Mm -hmm. that agencies have an extremely important role to play in media buying, especially given the complexity and the expertise needed to bid and buy in programmatic markets. But what we are seeing is that brands, as programmatic spend kind of used to be maybe 2% of their digital media buy and may now be 25% given its incredible efficiencies and effectiveness. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You're seeing that brands want to be closer to what's happening and it's not just a line item on their plans anymore. So a very common model is there would be at a brand sort of a VP of media or small team now really engaged in programmatic and in the investment and in the strategies working with the agencies and now also meeting with the trade desk or their DSP mm-hmm. to really understand the technology, how things are working and how to integrate the data, especially that's available in the platforms and the capabilities into their strategies. So you're seeing more of a hybrid model where the agencies absolutely are still playing that role in trading, but the brands are getting closer to the technologies to understand the capabilities, especially given the example I just talked about with Tory Burch, what you can really do. Right. Do you see in that hybrid model, are you seeing like a direct relationship between the trade desk and the brand and then a user being the media agency on the platform? Is that the kind of the model? Is that what you're... Yeah, I think there's still a very strong relationship between the agencies and the trade desk, certainly. But brands sometimes now are asking for MSAs or to really engage with us more directly. And I think just knowledge and attention from everyone, the agencies, the marketers, that helps make our capabilities leveraged even further into strategically and the ROIs improve over time, which is what is a really important objective of marketers is to improve efficiency. And this is a platform, this is a capability programmatic because you can target customers across devices, across media platforms, really manage the customer journey. It is the enablement of customer engagement and customer journey management. Hmm. Well, so what's the most notable or memorable thing that's happened in your first few months at the trade desk? 
Well, yeah, so that's a really great question. I've had a very interesting first three months. So this is an incredible company. I mean, we didn't talk about the culture yet of this company, but it's extremely special. And I've worked in a lot of places, but this company is connected in a way that I don't think I've seen before. And one of the prime examples of that is, you know, so my second month at the trade desk, it was in December, I was in California and I'd brought 10 members of my team to California to where the trade desk is headquartered to do a 2018 planning session. And the trade desk is headquartered in Ventura, California. And we were there the night of December 4th, 5th, when the Thomas fire, which is the largest wildfire in California history, it broke out. And if you know about the Thomas fire, what happened is it started in the sort of the hills in back of downtown Ventura. And then quickly, given the 80 mile an hour winds that night, swept over the hills and down into Ventura very, very rapidly. And it was just a very devastating situation for many people in the town and certainly over the next couple of weeks in California. But we were in the hotel, there's a hotel right on the water in downtown Ventura. And I got this, I was dead asleep at sort of 1.30 in the morning that night. And I got a call from someone on my team. And she said, Susan, hey, we're all downstairs. Why don't you come down? And I said, wow, you guys, that's really great. But I've already gone to sleep. You guys have fun. Right. You know, thinking, wow, this, this trade desk team really knows how to have a good time. <laughs> and she said, Susan, no, you need to pack your things there's a fire, the power's out, you need to come down. We're all downstairs in the lobby. And having just read about the Napa fires in great detail, because I used to live in San Francisco, it just scared the Jesus out of me. Right. Sure enough, the power was out and it was smoky and I kind of grabbed what I could and went downstairs and I had to go outside and there were sort of 80 mile an hour winds. It was crazy. Wow. It was a very difficult first hour, I would say, for us because you could see the fire advancing in downtown Ventura and coming our way. And we didn't know what was happening. And, you know, there was no news reports because it was the first night. But where we did get information was our Slack, our company Slack <laughs> and Twitter. But notably, our company was completely in touch with each other and where everyone was, what was happening who needed help right away. There were certainly a couple of people in our company who unfortunately were in very dire situations who lost their homes. They're fine, but they lost their homes. And this was a tribe in action that night. I just can't even describe how it was a group of people that were definitely a we and we were taking care of the community. There were people who actually drove to find us and help us understand that we could drive out to Los Angeles that night because we just didn't know. But it was just a very memorable start and has bonded in a way, me to this group of people in a way that I could have never expected. So truly a memorable night and a very, very special company. Yeah, no, it's a great story. Thank you for sharing. So you talked a little bit about the culture and obviously this is a great testimonial to the culture at the Trade Desk. Can you tell us what attracted you to it to begin with? Like what was it that you saw or felt that gravitated towards the company? I think it's really this, it's a personal company in a way that I haven't quite experienced before. And I think that's a tone and a sort of vision that is in a sort of personal value that's set out by our CEO, Jeff Green and founder, Jeff Green. I mean, Jeff Green is somebody who has a, a very, I don't know how to describe it, this sort of high EQ and really seeks to kind of know everyone in the company as a person and what makes them tick. My second interview with him was 
three hours long by design. He asked for a three-hour in-person interview. I went to Ventura to meet with him the second time, and it was truly a conversation about, hey, our backgrounds, what are our strengths and weaknesses, and what makes us tick as people. And I tell this story because it really sets the tone for the whole company and how and why people place a high priority on being connected to one another, because that's what this company is about culturally. So it's pretty amazing. And I feel so lucky to be a part of it. Well, it does sound amazing. It sounds very amazing. And three hours. I, mean, I would be scared to death. <laughs> <laughs> it was a three hour sushi lunch. Wow. wow. Well, at least there was something to eat occasionally. So you could think on, on your feet. Exactly. We had to spend some time on the complications of sushi to give, you know, <laughs> give myself time to figure out what to how to answer the next question. Right, right. Yeah. Well, so you've worked in fashion, media, technology, retail. Are there any common truths across those industries? Yeah, it's all about the customer today, the consumers in charge. And it's just because of the fragmentation of media, because she's so busy, because how we're living our lives is actually changing really fast. You think about fashion, the role of fashion and apparel, it's just completely, it's very different than it was 10 years ago, I think, with the casualization of wardrobe and how we're living our lives. So the customer is in charge. You need to understand her or him. You need to think about how you can do to really engage on a relevant personal, emotional level with customers. And that's true for the trade desk as a brand, a B2B brand, as well as a B2C brand. The trade desk, one of its major competitive, sort of say, strengths is it's a very high level of service and relationship company. So kind of what I talked about with the culture right. really extends to the relationships we have with our clients and our commitment to being there when they need us. We have a development cycle from a technology standpoint where we can quickly do things that benefit our clients that they're asking for and really serve them in ways that others can't. And that's just truly important because they are, our clients are in charge, the customers in charge. Nice. So one thing I like to do in these interviews is step back and learn a little bit more about the individual. And it's important for me to know who they are as a person. So one of the... Oh, you sound like my boss. <laughs> exactly. You know, I don't th know that we'll have three hours, but maybe, <laughs> maybe three minutes. But, uh, sure. You know, is there an experience in your past that you think defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah, I go back to when I changed careers when I was 24, I think is a sort of a seminal moment in my life. I had no idea I could actually change careers or go into advertising or anyone would even want to talk to me about it. It was a recession. I was in Chicago and I started knocking on doors saying, hi, I work in finance. I'm an investment banker, but I'd like to work in, in advertising. And, you know, maybe a person talked to me for a few minutes and then said they had to go or, you know, that there weren't many positions and I maybe had an interview, but I just kept at it. And I ultimately sent the right letter to the right person at Leo Burnett and she passed my resume to the recruiting team and they brought me in for a screen and I got past the screen and then I went into the full round and I got hired. And I think it's, what I learned from that is you can kind of make anything happen, I guess. And, and I have kept that optimism with me throughout my career, which is, I think, maybe why I go in and pursue opportunities that aren't traditional and I don't know things about the companies or the businesses that I am working in at first. And I'm willing and excited to do that, to kind of challenge myself in that way and know that I have something to bring to the table, but also that I'm going to learn a lot. And that's just, that's been a, a driver of my career. It's been pretty 
pretty great, this sort of optimism and just trying something new and taking a risk. That's great. I love that quote too, you can make anything happen. Yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> it is. It is. So what fuels you? What drives you? So at work, I think being in business, the thing that's most rewarding for me these days is helping my team to succeed and seeing especially young people learn, grow, just deliver, be successful. And the excitement around that is so much fun for me. So as a leader, as a CMO, I really think my job is to help my team be successful, to be a great coach, to be a sounding board, to help educate. Another thing is that young, I was the beneficiary of Leo Burnett's training program in marketing. And there were a lot of great training programs and packaged goods or in advertising agencies a couple decades ago. And they that those training programs aren't around as much anymore. So education on the fundamentals of marketing is something I also really try to give my team because it's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a lost art, but it's not as accessible as it was at one time. That's very true. That's very true. Are there brands or companies that you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of? I always think of my own experience as a consumer when I'm asked this question. So, you know, hey, what are some great brands? Yeah. <laughs> and there's definitely some great brands in my life right now. And I'd say the first one is SoulCycle. I've become <laughs> really, really into the whole SoulCycle experience in the last couple of years and just watch them deliver something that's truly unique in the marketplace where you feel... I go to a SoulCycle class and I feel connected to people in that class and kind of one with them, if you will. Even if I don't really talk to anybody, I just feel like I spent some time with a whole bunch of people doing something really healthy. And I love that. They've also just done with Trey Laird and Laird and Partners, SoulCycle has just started advertising and has done some work that's really about the major benefits of SoulCycle, which are really about this connecting to yourself and connecting to others in a really positive way. And that the work really shows that and it's pretty exciting work. So I've loved to watch what SoulCycle is doing. Another example is the R, do you know the RX bar, the bar? Yeah, it's like two eggs. They have the ingredients listed. <laughs> right. Uh, yes. I have one right here. It's three eggs, six almonds, four cashews, two dates, no BS. That's right. the package. And I don't know if they do any advertising or not. I've never seen it, but I am a devotee because that's exactly what I want is just like real food and mm. want it in a healthy way, no preservatives. And it spells it out. And it's just something I, it's just the packaging that does that for me, connects with me in that emotional way. And I'm very loyal to the brand. Although, if they're listening, they could please bring back the chocolate mint flavor because <laughs> I, that went away about six months ago and I really loved it. But it's just the amazing power of a single marketing element is what that brand is about. And it's the packaging. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to send them an email with the this episode link. <laughs> Maybe we can together bring back the chocolate mint. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, last question, and you have to get out your crystal ball, but what do you see for the future of marketing? Where do you think it's going? Well, I think that I'm right now sitting in a company that is about the future of marketing, which is leveraging, which is customer-centric marketing and reaching customers using data and developing new customers using data. And it is all about reaching them and connecting with them emotionally. So in addition to tools like the trade desk, it can really help you target efficiently and manage the customer journey and engage customers through the funnel. It's also about creative. We haven't talked so much about creative mm -hmm. on this 
podcast, but it's a really important point that delivering the right message at the right time to the right customer has never been more important in this very busy, you know, attention economy world. And you can now personalize your message in more ways, given the tools. And it's just so important for companies to build that capability to connect emotionally. Well, I think that's a great point. And I'm glad that the trade desk was wise enough to hire someone like yourself. So kudos to them. That's really as well. nice. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, I, there's so much talk about the use of technology and marketing to people and it can go awry. But I think if you focus on the message, the people like you talked about, the consumers in charge and really honor that, I think you can use these technologies in pretty interesting, creative ways. So yeah, I totally agree. I'm looking forward to that too. Well, so thank Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I've had a lot of fun. Marketing Today is brought to you by Atomic. Atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve. Atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business, marketing, brand, and innovation. Our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise, analysis, and creativity. Check us out at Atomic.com, A-T-O-M-C-K.com. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with project management by Sarah Williams, audio production by Aaron Campbell, writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. We love to hear from listeners at info at atomic, A-T-O-M-C-K dot com. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.